Welcome to the 19th episode of the 1796 Podcast, a monthly podcast that features exclusive interviews and in-depth news about the Tennessee National Guard and the Tennessee Military Department. The 1796 Podcast is produced every month by the Airmen and Soldiers of the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Malone. And I'm Captain Hall, your co-host of the 1796 Podcast. This month, we sit down with Command Sergeant Major Dale Crockett to talk about his role as the Tennessee National Guard Senior Enlisted Leader. We also talk with Mr. Jim Saunders, the Tennessee National Guard's Integrated Primary Prevention Officer, to discuss the services available to Guardsmen. And of course, we'll brief you on the latest and most important news impacting the Tennessee National Guard in our Tennessee Bluff news segment. But first, our conversation with Command Sergeant Major Dale Crockett. All right, listeners of the 1796 podcast, we are thrilled to be joined today by Command Sergeant Major Dale Crockett, who is the senior enlisted leader for the Tennessee National Guard. Sergeant Major, welcome to the 1796 podcast. Well, thanks for having me, sir. Yeah. All right. So uh, first off, you have had a long career starting in June of 1990, and I note that because um, I only got you beat by a few months. I got February 1990. But anyway, can you give us a condensed version of that military adventure getting you to where you are today? Sure. I started out as a 19 Delta Cavalry Scout in my hometown of Crossville, Tennessee. Uh, again, enlisted in 1990, like you said. I stayed in that unit all the way to uh, E-7 Platoon Sergeant. In 2004, uh, we deployed to Iraq, and I was assigned to the regimental recon troops that was at the, at the regiment level. Had a, had a good deployment, uh, ran the roads a lot, and then went back to my home unit back in Crossville and was promoted to first sergeant there. So I went, I went all the way through E1 through E8 in Crossville, Tennessee. So I had a little bit of break there, but uh, I got back to my home home unit as the first sergeant. Uh, spent about six years as the first sergeant there in Crossville, and then had another deployment back to Iraq again. Got back from Iraq from the second deployment and was selected for the CSM for Raider Squadron. So I went to Cookville at that time, and then uh, went through about five years as a CSM for Cookville. Was selected as the regiment CSM for the 278th. Uh, went through another deployment, went to Ukraine for a year, pretty pretty good deployment. Got back, uh, a couple a year or so later, I was selected for the state CSM, as you, as you know, mm-hmm. and then later was selected for the SEL. So I've kind of went through all those spots to get to where I'm at. That's fabulous, thank you for that. Yeah. So when we have spoken to other senior leaders, both officer and enlisted, a lot of times they focus on airmen and soldier development. And I say airmen and soldiers because you're the senior enlisted leader for both right. for the state. Uh, so that leadership development, that mentorship. So where does Tennessee get those jobs right? And what do you hope to do to continue that, add that, improve that, that development of the soldier and the airman? Yeah, I think Tennessee does a very good job at joint. We do a lot of things t- together, at both Army and the Air as well as the professional development. We do Army and Air professional development together. We've, got, we've built a number of courses in Tennessee with our First Line Leader course that focuses on that junior leader, and that's kind of bridges the gap between uh, our BLC and, and ALC, and we're going to expand that to, to the Air on the next course. So the 118th is going to participate in the First Line Leader course. 
We do a senior NCO summit that's also joint where all the E8 and E9s get together one time a year. In Knoxville, we focus on that senior level NCO where the first line leader course is kind of at the grassroots at the junior level. Uh, we do the company level leader course, uh, you know, where we bring the readiness NCO, the first sergeant and the commander together in a one-week training. They do that together at the company level to get after those tasks that they, they share at, that, at the company. Uh, there's a lot of things that we do. We do SPP engagements that develops leaders. They go, you know, train in a joint multinational environment. The best warrior competition we build, that's also joint in Tennessee. Not all states do that. We, we do joint air and army. So we do a lot of things to develop leaders that is outside of their regular PME. So, and then the mentorship programs and all the other things we have in place. That's great. So you mentioned Bulgaria and the SPP program. I know you went there very recently to celebrate the 30-year partnership we have with Bulgaria. Why is the state partnership program important, and why is it important with Bulgaria specifically? Well, the state partnership program builds readiness for both Bulgaria and Tennessee. It's a great opportunity for leaders at all levels. I mean, we, we build relationships you know, starting with junior NCOs and junior officers that sometimes, you know, goes through several years and several promotions to where you've had a lieutenant and the Army and on the Bulgarian side that end up being commanders together. Mm -hmm. So they've built that relationship. You know, having that state partnership, for us especially in Bulgaria, you know, in the Black Sea area, there's a lot of things going on over there right now. With our relationships that we've built allows us to sometimes foster relationship for other forces that may be going in there as well. So sometimes they leverage our relationships to build their own. Yeah. So it's, it's good for the whole Department of Defense, you might say. And it's a cheap, cheaply done and underfunded, but mm -hmm. everybody says this is a great program, and I agree. Yeah, a lot, a lot of bang for your buck, exactly. obviously. Yes, and I, uh, I thought it was interesting getting ready for the 30-year celebration. I happened to... Look up, I went there recently as well. The geography is very similar. Uh, the population size of Tennessee and Bulgaria is almost identical. The square mileage is almost identical from one to the other. I thought that was really, yeah. I thought, oh, oh, that's probably why they did that. It's a great opportunity for our soldiers yeah. and airmen because mm -hmm. they get to go to Europe, which ordinarily they might not be able to get to do that, get yeah. to go see some things. And we try to plan in you know, a cultural day, you know, we, we go over there, do some training, but we'd also like for them to have an experience over there and yeah. see the culture and understand the culture. Indeed. So you mentioned the best warrior competition also. I know you just got back from Alaska for the National Army Guard Best Warrior Competition. Um, how did our guy do? And Tennessee always seems to do well at the regional and national level. Why is that? And why is best warrior in competitions like it important? Okay. In Tennessee, we got a we got a pretty good best warrior program. We do. We hosted we hosted the nationals last year. We've had for the last three years, we've had competitors at the national level. In 2000, I think it was 20, we had a national winner, mm -hmm. uh, Sergeant Lukens. He won the soldier category last year. We won region three, so we had two. We had the soldier and the NCO in the national level, mm -hmm. and we hosted it. And this, and this year we had uh, Specialist uh, Jackson Jacobs from the 278th who went and competed. He was the, the, a runner-up for the Soldier of the Year. 
But he was selected uh, to be part of the best squad. So he's going to be competing at the Army in the squad competition. So, you know, it's my philosophy. We've got national winners in our formation. We try to build a competition to find them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that's where we focus our competition on on first getting them to participate, yeah. you know. Because they're com- already there. Yeah, to compete. They're there, yeah. They're out there. Mm-hmm. Get them to compete. And we've got the ne- we've got the next national winner in our formation. I know yes. it. Next yes. year we'll get them. That's awesome. All right. You are also the top advisor to Tennessee's Adjutant General, General Ross, on enlisted affairs, airman and soldier. What are some of your or General Ross's initiatives and objectives for the service members? Well, his number one priority and our number one priority is people. Yep. So we've got to grow our strength for sure. On the Army side especially, the air not so much, but we want to make, we don't want to lose any ground over there either. Right. Uh, number one priority is strength. You know, we got to look at it holistically. We're looking at a lot of things to try to, to get after that. Do we have the right uh, formations in the right place across the state? Do we have the right types of formations for the future to grow that? It's just a, a long, methodical process. Mm-hmm. So that's the number one priority. But we got, you know, priorities for the SPP. Uh, we would like to expand that to civilian to civilian government engagements. Mm-hmm. That's one of the TAG's priorities. Uh, you know, where we can foster engagements, for example, Department of Education with a college in Bulgaria. You know, that could be the same benefits that we get for our soldiers. We could do that the same thing in the Department of Education, do student exchange, things of that nature. Uh, Department of Agriculture, I mean, there's there's partnerships for both countries that uh, we could help be the conduit for that. Mm-hmm. We can't necessarily do it, but we can be the conduit for it during our bilateral military engagements because they ask, you know, they ask for lots of things. Mm-hmm. And it's multi. It's beneficial for both of us. That's great. All right, we have a tradition on the podcast. We yeah. act, ask those people that come in that are a little more seasoned. What's your best piece of leadership advice to the soldiers and airmen that are listening? Okay, that's a good question. You know, I've always tried to focus on the job I'm in, and not really be so worried about the next one. So do a, do an outstanding in the job that you currently have. Uh, take care of the soldiers that are in your formation, soldiers and airmen. That's how you be measured on how successful they are, not on what you are doing, but how, what is the unit accomplishing. So focus on your job, and you'll be recognized for that next promotion. That's what I always tell people. Not wor- Don't worry about the job, uh, the future. Worry about what you're doing right now. That's awesome advice. Thank you so yeah. much. And, and and hopefully you will do a great job focusing on this new job you're in right now as a senior enlisted leader. I hope so. I never I never really thought I'd be where I'm right. at today. So yeah. when I got to uh, E7, I thought this is a great job to retire at. So I'm going to focus on this job. Yeah. And I've been retiring ever since. <laughs> so. Well, congratulations. <laughs> well, thanks so, for having me again. We appreciate your time. Up first this month in the Tennessee Bluff, multiple emergency response agencies, including the Tennessee National Guard, will be participating in Nashville's 2023 Dense Urban Terrain four-day exercise, which begins August 7th. The exercise includes a series of events designed to coordinate and rehearse emergency response to possible chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear attacks or disasters. 
A remarkably comprehensive group of organizations is participating in the exercise, including Task Force 46, the leading United States Army Chemical, Biological, Radiological, and Nuclear Response Force, headquartered in Lansing, Michigan. In other news, as part of the 30th anniversary of the National Guard's State Partnership Program, senior Bulgarian officials visited Tennessee in late July. As our listeners may remember, the State Partnership Program is a key initiative of the National Guard that aims to cultivate and strengthen relationships with allied nations. Since 1993, Tennessee and Bulgaria have partnered as two of the original members of the program and collaborated in numerous military exercises and exchanges. Since 2004, Bulgaria has also been a NATO ally. The visit follows Thracian Sentry, one of the largest international exercises in Tennessee National Guard history, with Tennessee Guardsmen partnering with Greek and Bulgarian forces to train in Europe. And in national news, the United States House of Representatives' final version of the 2024 National Defense Authorization Act passed the lower chamber earlier this month and includes several provisions that could impact National Guardsmen. Two of those provisions would reduce costs for Guardsmen, providing zero-cost dental care for every Guardsman through TRICARE Reserve Select and increasing pay by 5.2%. In addition, the House version of the bill creates a Space National Guard under the Space Force. The Space Guard would draw from Air Guard space professionals in 14 units across eight states and territories. The House version of the bill must be reconciled with the Senate version, which is expected to pass the upper chamber in August. That's our Tennessee Bluff for this month, and now back to Lieutenant Colonel Malone. All right, listeners of the 1796 podcast, thanks for being with us on this episode. We are in Nashville at Joint Force Headquarters, and we are thrilled to be joined today by Jim Saunders. He is the Integrated Primary Prevention Officer of the Integrated Primary Prevention Workforce. I don't know what all that means. That's why we're here today. Uh, all that for the Tennessee National Guard. And, 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 and Jim, the reason we have you here today is help us to understand what I just said. So first, welcome Mr. Saunders to the 1796 podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir, for having me. I'm uh, happy to be here. We are honored to have you with us. First off, tell us a little bit about how you came to be in the position you're in now. Okay. My experience with the Tennessee National Guard goes back to 2007 when I first joined as a chaplain candidate. Fast track, I became a chaplain and went on to deployment with the 278th. In the early, like 2012, 2014, I was doing some regional chaplain support. One thing led to another. I was able to come on board back in 2016 in a Title V role, serving then as the R3SP, the Resilience Risk Reduction Suicide Prevention Coordinator and was doing that, had another deployment with the 278 to Poland, came back, started hearing some, some talk about there being some changes, and we can talk a little more about that in a minute. Because of the National Defense Authorization Act and the Independent Review Commission that we'll talk more about, this position, this entire workforce came to be. I was approached about it and uh, was considering it, praying about it. Felt that my background in uh, human services counseling, marriage and family therapy, as well as pastoral type counseling was, was good. The world of prevention per se was new to me, but I was excited for the challenge. And when, uh, when I received the call that I had been selected to lead this team, I did see it as an opportunity and a challenge uh, to pull together a multifaceted group of individuals with a variety of backgrounds, focusing on prevention efforts in the Tennessee Guard. Okay, so you said your team, right? So you are the Integrated Primary Prevention Workforce, and you're the head of that. 
okay, what is that <laughs> and why do we need one? Right, because integrated primary prevention workforce, it looks like you're trying to prevent primaries. This is not an election thing, right? So, <laughs> Well, I could see, I so, could see so that. What, so what let's, is, let's yeah, break what that is down it? a little bit. Those are, those are good questions, and I like the angle you're taking with that. So to give you some background that I alluded to a minute ago, you may recall several years ago, back at what was then called Fort Hood, there was specialist Vanessa Guillen. And she had actually, uh, investigation showed that she had made several complaints to her leadership about uh, sexual harassment and things of that nature. Long story short, she ended up being murdered. And in the investigation as it unfolded there into what happened in that situation, uh, the powers that be saw that there's much more going on here. And so they expanded their investigation beyond just that installation and the Army mm -hmm. to begin uh, through DOD to look at all of the service components. And they set up the Independent Review Commission and they put forth 80 some odd recommendations when it was all said and done mm -hmm. of how the force, the armed forces could improve. And so among their top recommendations was standing up this integrated primary prevention workforce because we're not trying to do away with primaries, as you said a second <laughs> ago. We as a service and a lot of the services have a lot of robust response programs in place. Mm -hmm. When something has happened, when a crisis has occurred, when a soldier, an airman, or a family member is in need, there are things there to meet that identified crisis. We don't always do a great job on the front end of preventing through education and other initiatives trying to uh, change the climate and change the culture. So the recommendation was made that going forward, my team will work with existing response programs not to supplant them, but to augment them and help to further this idea of educating about prevention. The integrated piece comes from, uh, we use a public health model. So this is very steeped in um, the CDC and organizations like that, the public health approach, which is holistic and it looks at both risk factors and protective factors that an individual or a community or society at large is facing. and the prevention initiatives that we will enact in the Guard have to touch upon at least two of those different things. For example, on my team, and I'm not trying to jump ahead to what you might it's ask me, but fine. on my team, I have both operational and tactical specialists. At the operational level here at Joint Force Headquarters, I have, for example, Amanda Martinez, and her specialty area is sexual violence prevention. Mm -hmm. Then I have Abigail Fluke, and she focuses on domestic violence prevention. Mm -hmm. I have Kim Young. She focuses on workplace violence. Then I have Marin Lawrence, and her focus is on preventing self-harm. And that could be, we often think of suicide prevention, right. but also things to do with substance abuse and any kind of other uh, behaviors that are harming to the individual. Mm -hmm. So those are my operational folks. And I also have a lead who is our data analyst, uh, Melissa Prince, and they look at these focus areas and they do a lot of research and in some ways we're a little bit of research geeks mm -hmm. but we research the issues the problems across academia what what is being put forth in in the field current in this area what programs do we have in place already in the tennessee army guard and the air guard what programs do adjacent states have what are initiatives that local communities are doing and we gather information about those topics come alongside people like Matt Thompson, who is the new state uh, um, in, in the SARC role, mm -hmm. you know. And so, again, we're not taking away from the sexual response people, but we're trying to augment with information 
And how we do that, coming back to data collection, is things like on the Army side, we have the unit risk inventories that units mm -hmm. will do uh, to kind of get an assessment of where, where are the soldiers, the individual soldiers, with their substance use, with their sleep patterns, with their eating patterns, with their mental health. That those are things not to play gotcha with a soldier or with a unit, but just data points where we can look at some trends of what, what are we seeing that is putting this individual or this particular unit perhaps at risk? What are we also seeing that is something that's going on good? How can we educate and encourage them to do more of that, those mm -hmm. protective factors? Going more global, um, we have the DOX, which is something that Army and air and other services use as well because that is DOD driven. The climate survey. The climate survey mm -hmm. is, the, is, it's often called climate mm -hmm. survey. Mm -hmm. So we take that and all these ways we can also do focus groups with, with units, with groups on the air wing side. All of these efforts are trying to gather data again so we can kind of do gap analysis. What exists, where do we want to be, and what's missing, how can we fill that, and what are the trends showing us? Or we can also explore things that haven't been done before and introduce new initiatives. For example, just this past week, my team submitted a proposal to be part of what's called a peer influencer mm -hmm. program, something new to our state. It's being piloted in Wyoming, and so we're going to try to piggyback off of that and bring that to the, the junior en enlisted, like the E4, E3 level, where they can be trained on how do you come alongside your, your buddy when he or she is having a crisis. You're not a counselor, you're not a therapist, uh, a chaplain, but how can you do some peer-to-peer -peer support and then link them to resources? Well, that's a new initiative. Mm -hmm. uh, so we look at things like that as well. Yeah, so then that's what I was going to ask. Who is your team and, and how do they integrate with the existing people, which you talked about? Are there any other pieces that you need to mention? So, so I will. So I, I talked about the operational mm -hmm. side. We also have what's called the tactical specialists. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this is funding driven, and we're in our initial year. Right. Uh, and, and the IRC funds are fenced specifically to be used for um, starting up this program. IRC. Independent Review Commission. Mm -hmm. So at the tactical level, right now, we have a position at the 118th wing. We have one in West Tennessee, considered a 194th asset. Then we have in Knoxville a position that is attached to the 278, works out of McGee-Tyson, and sure. also covers down on some of those regional things. Mm -hmm. So when we at the operational level are engaging with community partners, looking at the data, tracking trends, if we recommend uh, or propose an initiative, we don't make any decisions. We don't try to add to survey fatigue or tell the commander what he or she will or won't do. Mm -hmm. But we make recommendations to the leadership, to the TAG. And if the TAG signs off on something and says, I want my, my folks to be doing this, then we work through our tactical preventionists and they are the hands and feet that take this prevention education to the commanders at that local level, to the units, to the soldiers. They might be working some drill weekends to offer education. Mm -hmm. They might come alongside some of our contractors who do those unit risk inventories and to help expand on the education piece. Uh, they're gonna do a lot of community networking because that's one thing I hadn't mentioned yet. One of the, the pushes of this entire program is to, to look at the larger ecological system. The, the individual soldier and airman, they have some issues that they might struggle with, but more than likely they're also part of a family. Mm -hmm. So their little fa their nuclear family, what's going on there with their, their spouse or their children? Then you look at their unit. 
then you look at the community that they live in, then you look at the larger, and it just grows from there. So again, integrating all the different uh, resources that exist for one purpose, because sometimes, as you know, you've probably seen there's a lot of redundancy at times. We're trying to help eliminate the redundancy and streamline things all with the effort of advancing a, a prevention mindset for the future. So you mentioned integrated. You've mentioned in West, the 194th Engineering Brigade and the 164th Airlift Wing. In the East, you mentioned the 134th and the 278th, right? So is there going to be something different from the Army side to the air side? Are they... So this is considered a joint program. Will the soldiers and airmen see something different if they're different? This is considered a joint program. Mm -hmm. So one of, uh, in this initial year, as we're doing uh, some gap analysis and looking at the data, just on, on the surface, one of the things we're noticing as a team is that sometimes the two organizations do function a little differently mm -hmm. as far as how they carry out their mission. And with those wings operating somewhat more autonomous, but as far as what we bring to the table, it should mirror. But both Army and Air should be receiving the same information because this is truly a joint program. That's why they, they took all of the assets that make up the IPPW and they moved us up into the HRO slash J1 mm -hmm. so we can truly be representative of a joint effort. Mm -hmm. So it, it really comes down to building relationships and making sure that myself, my team, and those tactical specialists are building those healthy relationships with the commanders who have boots on the ground, whether Army or Air. What are your needs, ma'am? What are your needs, sir? Hey, guess what? The needs you're expressing over here at the 118th Wing, we've also heard some of the same needs mentioned over at Elizabethton in East Tennessee mm -hmm. from those soldiers over there. So trying to bring everybody on the same page, mm -hmm. same sheet of music, you might say, sure. so that Army and Air begins to kind of fade away and we just look at the service in general. And these are Tennessee service persons and their dependents who need our support and we're here to do it across the board. We don't see the distinction between the Army and the Air yeah. on the prevention side. All right, so if a service member, let's say they're already dealing with an issue, and, and maybe they're working with somebody, maybe they're not, it, but it's in one of your focus areas. Your team, I'm, I'm assuming, is going to do everything they can to help. How do they do that? How do, how do airmen and soldiers get in touch with your team if they need a service? or so? And that so, may be different Army to Air, right? Because well, there's that, different assets a little assigned bit, to the units. A little sure. bit, and this is a good time for me to ma make some clarification. So there are some things that we will do and some things we won't do. Mm -hmm. Myself and my team do not function in any capacity as, as clinicians. So if someone was to reach out to us, we would, through due diligence, kind of assess their situation and link them to some of the existing response programs. But I don't want to, because in this capacity I'm Title V, I'm not functioning as a chaplain. Mm -hmm. And I, can't, I cannot blur those lines myself. So we would be serving as a, as a conduit, a resourcer, to those existing programs on the Army and the Air side. But as far as how to find us, um, the J-9 has been really gracious, and they have their J-9 brochure and their QR code, and they still include us on that so that if a soldier has access to the handouts that are all over the armories, I can't speak to the Air side, but I know we're getting that out there to them. But through the QR code, they can access all of our information. And I would assume on, on the air side, through the airmen and family readiness yes. coordinators. Mm -hmm. And so what are airmen and soldiers going to see differently now that we have an IPPW? What's going to be different for them? Okay. Well, for example, I threw out the idea mm -hmm. of the Peer Influencer Initiative. Now, that's still in pilot stages, but if we can, if we are approved for that, right now it's funded for the Army only. But if it is successful in Wyoming and in Tennessee and other locations that are adding to, I, I can expect you'll see something like that expanding to the uh, air side as well. 
how that'll exactly play out with the three different wings, I don't know yet. We're still working on that. But uh, what you'll see differently, I, I guess, from this standpoint to say, we are evidence-based, research-driven. So if we are exploring an issue and we see the tracking the trends and the data, and it maybe shows us that what we thought or what we had hypothesized was an issue or what the leadership was concerned about, and evidence doesn't support that, then we're going to be the ones, I'm going to be the one who goes to the leadership and the tag and says, hey, sir, perhaps we need to reconsider the direction we were going because here's what the trends are showing us. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to, from my perspective, we're trying to enable really data-informed decision-making for the leadership instead of just, not that they've done this, but instead of just, here's a dartboard and let's just throw an idea at it. We can have some real evidence-based, here's what the trends are truly showing us. Our focus right now is like an interview like this and us really just working, working on our messaging campaign. Because again, change takes time. Introducing this new thing, who are we, what are we here for? So I, I suspect the next six to eight months, possibly the next fiscal year, we're gonna have a lot of time just having conversations and just building that rapport and that trust with the Army and the Air side to know who we are and what we're about. But again, not in any way trying to minimize those existing programs, but to support them and just augment them. We just recently found out that we are gonna be working with the EO to help with the rollout of this new, the DOCS I mentioned. So just different things of that nature. And it's such a new program, I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to morph itself mm -hmm. because the National Guard is treated as its own service. You know, So we're not competing with the active army or the active air or anyone else, but all these entities are trying to figure out exactly what that looks like in their world. And, and I would think, let me play a hypothetical here for a second. So I'm a commander and I've got this great idea that I, th I think I may have a problem. I could bring that to you and your team and you could research it, say, yes, it is a problem, no, it isn't, and maybe here's a way to address it. Yes. So it could be down to the individual unit level. Yes, a commander could come to us and say, hey, uh, on this drill weekend coming up, I'd like you to come and do some focus groups. I'm going to put some time in the training schedule for you to do some, some focus group conversations with, with my soldiers. And let's hear what they're saying, because I think it's a problem. Do they think it's a problem? And if we, through focus groups and surveys and research, identify it, then yes, we could sit down with that commander uh, and their leadership and say, we've identified a particular program that may already exist, and we're going to look at working with the developer to adapt it to our specific needs. Or in some cases, we might in-house produce our own educational curriculum, working again with people like Matt Thompson, Stephanie Weeks, mm -hmm. Jennifer Allen and the J9, and all the other people, because we are trying to be a force multiplier with all the existing response cells. All right, so Mr. Saunders, what have I missed? What, is there anything else that you need to tell us that I, that I didn't know to ask that our listeners need to know about, about the integrated primary prevention workforce? Uh, just for education purposes on who we are and what we do, I, I alluded to it earlier. One of the things is that, um, and our leadership so far supports this, not just working with community agencies that offer social services, but Tennessee is blessed with a lot of universities across from Memphis all the way um, you know, to Knoxville and up and down. We have the charge and the opportunity to partner with some of these major universities because not to be too academic, but if you ever do research, you have to have like institutional review board. You ha it has to be approved, authorized, show that it's ethical and you're not breaching any kind of um, 
ethics. So we've already done some things like talking to Austin P University. We've met with MTSU. We've talked to TSU. We're reaching out to different universities to, to partner with them on some potential research projects and also uh, from a recruitment standpoint and just uh, opportunities working with some of these universities to have field placement. Before too long we would like to uh, start seeing some people that are students coming in and doing some observations and maybe helping to craft curriculums or maybe like back to the example you gave if a commander comes to us and says we think we have an issue well we could reach out to some of these universities as well and say okay you are major think tanks come alongside with us and help us to think through this problem, identify some solutions, and then put those into play. Yeah. So I think that's important to know just about who we are and what we do. Mr. Saunders, it's been a thrill to have you on the 1796 podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and telling us about the Integrated Primary Prevention Workforce and what an asset it is to Tennessee. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the 1796 podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing, sharing this episode with friends, and giving us a five-star review. The 1796 podcast is produced by the Airmen and Soldiers of the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. For more information, please visit www.tn.gov/military.